Good morning. Would y'all please stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading this morning from the book of Psalm 145, verses 5 through 9. And if you're reading out of the Blue Bibles uh, in the seat back in front of you, it's page 302. And as always, we want to remind you that uh, if you need a Bible uh, or know someone that does, please feel free to take that Blue Bible home with you. Hear the word of the Lord. On the glorious splendor of your majesty... And on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. Thus says the Lord. Let's pray for our hearts as we hear the word of the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you for the truth that we have just rested in this morning, God, that we have bathed ourselves in, that you are good, your goodness is over all your works, that you're slow to anger, that you're a merciful and forgiving God, that you have called us by your mercy, and we thank you for that. And yet, God, we confess before you this morning that many of us, many times, sometimes it seems more often than we don't, we take this mercy this unspeakable mercy for granted. We don't acknowledge it in so many ways, God. We live under fear of condemnation by you, not remembering that you're a merciful God. We fail to extend mercy to one another and thus offending your mercy, God. And and God, Lord, or we just ignore it altogether. And so, God, we pray that this morning... You would use these words, God, so feebly put together by me, God, and that you would, you would use them, Lord, to remind us, to shake us, to enthrall us with the mercy of Almighty God once again. And so, God, we pray that, that this would be your divine work and not through any skill of the preacher, Lord, that it would be your divine work that you would do this. And Lord, so in that, Lord, I just surrender myself to you. I ask you to help me to be my strong um, right hand, Lord God, to take control of my thoughts, my tongue, Lord, and, and let me say nothing that is contrary to your word or that is false, Lord, but let me honor you in everything. And I ask all this in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. I am so excited before I begin to announce to you that many of you got to participate in this last year. And this year, once again, um, we are having our Thanksgiving uh, psalm sing uh, with a few other churches which, with which I'm in partnership. 
And by extension, you're in partnership. That would be uh, First Baptist in Wolferth, New Home Baptist Church, and Flatland Bible Church. And we are we are so excited uh, that that First Baptist in Wolferth is hosting us again. And this will take place on November uh, 12th at five o'clock. The announcement should be in your bulletin. And we want all of you to come. This was great last year. For those of you who were there last year, you'll remember that. And so we'll we'll spend some time worshiping and and reminding ourselves of what God's Word shows us on on the matter of thanksgiving, uh, and then we're going to have a big meal together. Now, this is where you come in. I need your help. Um, every year, Northridge uh, will br- buy some turkeys. We'll, we'll pay for it, and we just ask you to help us prepare those. So I need four or five of you to just volunteer to uh, to cook some turkeys for us and uh, get them up to the church that night, and we'll, we'll, we'll buy them, we'll deliver them to your house, so you'll have them to prepare. And then everyone else, we need you to bring your very best sides and salads and desserts and breads and things like that so that we'll be able to bless those people with us, and they'll be doing the same thing, and then we'll just have a great meal fellowshipping with those three churches. And so it's going to be a great night, and we hope that you will mark it on your calendars. November 12th, 5 o'clock, First Baptist in Wolforth. I think the address, if it's not this week, it'll be in your, it'll be in your bulletin. So be watching for that. Well, I want to get into the word. Um, as we have been talking for, this is the 12th week about the attributes of God. We've seen many examples of what God is in himself. And what I mean by that is, is Whatever we see in God, and we can determine from his word and his activity that God is, it it, it would mean that God would still be that thing or those things, even if he had never created anything. In other words, if we never knew that he was almighty, how many of you believe that he would still be almighty? In fact, he would be invisible, triune, omnipotent, etc., 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 as well as flawlessly holy, if none of us had ever existed to know this about him. God did not increase or originate in these attributes when he created the universe. And we've emphasized over and over in this series that what God is, God always was and God always will be. Nothing can ever be added to him. Nothing can ever be subtracted from him. He has always been perfectly almighty, invisible, triune, omnipotent, eternal, infinite, etc., 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 etc. And this applies to every one of his attributes, um, which I have said to you repeatedly. Now, therefore... When we come this morning to the mercy of God, we affirm it as the eternal mercy of God. What I am saying to you is that God has always been merciful, God is merciful, and God will always be merciful. Mercy is an expression of the divine being, and it always has been. Psalm 103.17 tells us this, But the steadfast love of the Lord, which is another way to speak of his mercy, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. But while it's true that God has been eternally merciful, the nature of mercy requires that it be bestowed on someone, bestowed on something, to become evident. In other words, it, it remains completely unknown until it is bestowed. 
God would have been merciful without creation, as we've already affirmed, but only in the context of his creation is his mercy ever known. It remains an inner secret of his inner being without creation. And furthermore, in order for mercy to qualify truly as mercy, it has to be stowed not just on anyone, but on one who is undeserving, one who is unworthy, one who's even incapable of ever meriting mercy. Before creation, and when all that exists was God and at some point angels, we know that some angels fell. And the angels who didn't fall didn't need mercy. So therefore, uh, you know, they, they did not understand mercy because they never needed mercy. And the angels that did fall, mercy was withheld from them by the good pleasure of God. So it remained unknown until the creation of the planet, the universe by extension. Yet mercy, even though, you know, there was no expression of it clearly made until that time, mercy existed in God, and it was waiting for the time when it would be clearly seen and freely granted on the miserable and on the needy. A.W. Tozer says this, he says, Mercy is an attribute of God, an in, listen to this, I love his, his uh, definition, an infinite and inexhaustible energy within the divine nature which disposes God to be practically or actively compassionate. Isn't that great? God does not just accidentally do good things. God is, is disposed, there's this, the inexhaustible energy which exp- disposes him to be actively compassionate, to look for ways in which he may show mercy. So creation became the platform for the revelation of God's mercy, and eventually scripture, the written word, became the great enunciation of it. Both the Old and the New Testaments breathlessly proclaim that God is merciful towards his creation. There is, we've mentioned this many times before, but there's, there's this false belief in the culture that the God of the New Testament, if you want to call him that because he's the same God, is merciful and kind and gracious, and the God of the Old Testament is harsh and judgmental and strict and wrathful. But does the scripture, does the testimony of scripture bear that out? It most certainly does not. In the Old Testament, we see the mercy of God when God shed the blood of an innocent animal simply to cover the nakedness, the guilt, and the shame of his recently fallen humanity as he evicts them from their garden home. And it's more than that. God delays the death death penalty that he had imposed on them for almost a millennia. We see it in the sparing of the family of Noah from the judgment of a worldwide flood. We see it when God sends angels to deliver Lot from Sodom before its destruction. We see it in God granting a ram to replace Isaac, Abraham's son, as the sacrifice that God had demanded from him. We see it in the provision for the children of Israel as they complained and complained and complained and yet God caused manna, bread from heaven to rain from the sky and water to flow freely from an old desert rock. The greatest symbol of mercy and the mercy of God displayed in in all of his creation 
is seen in the New Testament. Jesus, as our federal head, was sent to perfectly keep God's law for us. And in his substitutionary death, he bore the guilt of sin for all his people. There is no greater revelation of the mercy of God that could be imagined. And there's absolutely none that we should search for beyond that. Whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the mercy of God is like a trumpet resounding a consistent theme. The Bible says that if you just stroll through the Psalms, that God's mercy is great, that it is abounding, that it is eternal, and that is the impetus for our highest praise. Psalm 59, 16, for example, David writes this, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love. In the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. When we sang this morning, where our hearts moved to worship God because of his plentiful mercies toward us. There is no greater reason to worship God. One of the clearest examples of God's mercy taking center stage in the Bible is during the journey of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. And and after Israel breaks out in gross idolatry, Moses asks God to show him his glory. The whole nation is rattled because of what had happened. And Moses says, show to God in a moment of conversation, show me your glory. And God did not respond. This wrathful God of the Old Testament did not respond by forbidding him. No, you can't see my glory. Nor did he offer to show Moses his raw power or his perfect, infinite wisdom to Moses. No, this is what the Bible says that his promise was when Moses asked. Listen, this is beautiful. God says to him in Exodus thirty-three nineteen, I will make all of my goodness to pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, which in the Hebrew is Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. His goodness passing before Moses looked like this. A declaration of his grace. A declaration of his mercy. In the next chapter, God sets Moses in a big crack, a cleft in the rock, and passes before him, only allowing him to see the backside of him because he had told him no one can see God and live. And as he does, as God passes by Moses in the rock, he doesn't just state his name. Hey, Moses, my name is Yahweh. No, he unfolds his name to Moses. And listen to the beauty of this name. Listen to it. Exodus 34, 6, then Yahweh passed by in front of him and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. 
Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity on the chil- on the, uh, of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now we saw this very declaration of the name of God cross-referenced this morning in our text when the psalmist said in verse 8, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In fact, this declaration of mercy in God's name when he says, I'm slow to anger, we see this showing up nine times in the Old Testament after this event. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, keeping loving kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity, Forgiving transgression, forgiving sin. Think about what God has just done there. He speaks of the multifaceted dimensions of his mercy and says, this constitutes my identity. And yet, with the weight of these different expressions of his mercy, he only makes one expression of his retributive justice. What is it that God wants you to know about him? We often speak synonymously in church, especially of God's mercy and his grace. And we're going to take more time to talk about the grace of God next week. But real quickly, let me tell you that grace is God's favor, sometimes called unmerited favor, granted to those whom he would save. It speaks of people getting from God what they absolutely do not deserve. But mercy is different than grace. They're very similar, but there's a slight difference. Whereas grace is God giving us what we do not deserve, mercy is that wonderful aspect of God that does not give us what we do deserve. And furthermore, whereas you can't say this about the grace of God, every creature of God is the recipient of his mercy in one form or another. Yet only those who are called to salvation are offered grace. And there are three ways for us to understand the mercy that we find described in the scriptures. Let me help you out with that. First, there is what we call the general Mercy of God. And it applies to literally all of creation. Not just human beings, but it applies to plants and animals. It applies to believers and unbelievers. It is that, that aspect in God that makes sure that, that we have what we need, that, that the beasts of the field, when a lion is roaming around in the Serengeti, that he will have a wildebeest to eat. That is not just natural selection. That is God's goodness to the beast. The same wildebeest that will become lunch for the lion has had grass to eat, water to drink. God is merciful. To all, everything he's created. And so he provides us with sunlight, rain, food, etc. God mercifully supplies suitable provision for all of his creation. And this is why our text said, the last verse we read in our text this morning, that the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Paul said to the Athenians, 
In Acts 17.25, God himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Closely related to this, this uh, general mercy of God is the special mercy of God. And when we talk about the special mercy, we're talking about what extends to all humanity. We kind of take the plants and the animals out of it here. And, and those who, who God has created to bear his image, um, he, he, he does this, he, he, does, he provides a special mercy regardless of their sins, regardless of their faith, he provides mercy. We, remember we used this verse last week, Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, he said, For God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just, and on the unjust. Christ pointed out, now do you remember in the, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said this statement about sunlight and rain on the good and evil, the just and the unjust? What he was doing in that passage is he was actually teaching those who were listening that they should love their enemies. And what is the the example, what's the illustration that he gives of loving their enemies? He gives them their heavenly father. He says, you want to know how to love your enemies? Love them like God loves them. The father has shown such undeserved kindness toward those that have even declared war on him. What a God we serve. There's not one demonically entrapped enemy of God that has not received goodness from God in the world today or ever. Think about that for a minute. Because of his special mercy towards his image bearers, all of us are completely without excuse. All of us. We have no right to protest against God who daily provides us with everything we need. In fact, this expression of the merciful heart of God is meant to draw us to himself in gratitude. It's what Paul said in Romans, right? Remember Romans 2.4? He says, or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, all descriptions of his mercy, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. What an absolutely dreadful day awaits anyone who would come to the end of their lives having ignored and despise the generosity and the kindness of God. The special mercy of God toward all humanity indiscriminately is only a temporal reality. It's not an eternal reality. When time is no more, God's mercy toward the unrepentant and the ungrateful will be absolutely dissolved. Galatians tells us that God is not mocked. That whatever a man sows... That will he also reap, and he will reap bountifully. One of the dangerous things, someone who either rejects Christ in his salvation or tries to redefine it according to his own beliefs can do, one of the most dangerous things they can do is to presume upon the mercy of God. Let me tell you something, no matter how unbothered you are this morning by your impending death, that could happen before you leave this building. It could happen in 80 years from now. If, you, if that describes you, let me assure you this morning that if you do not submit to God's word in all things in this life, hope in his mercy 
will prove to be a vain and broken crutch for you in the end. And you will fall before his wrath because you despised his mercy. Now, if all that's true, that's the heavy part of the message. But if all that's true, how can we say, as we together as a congregation affirmed 26 times earlier in Psalm 136, that his steadfast love endures forever? How can we say that if the time is ticking on his special mercy? And it's because God also expresses his mercy in a third way. To all those who are his people by faith, evidenced by their sanctified lives and their obedient hearts, God has poured out his sovereign mercy. This is the mercy of God granted to those who, Gabriel talked about two weeks ago, whom he has foreknown, who he has set his love upon from all eternity. Absolutely nothing can erase his sovereign mercy. Absolutely nothing can alter his sovereign mercy. Absolutely nothing can diminish his sovereign mercy. Nothing can improve upon it because it is infinitely supplied from the heart of God himself. Sovereign mercy is granted to his people through the new covenant in Christ's blood. Everybody do me a favor again. Open your Bibles. Grab your Bibles and turn with me. I want everybody to see this. I'd like for everybody to participate here. Everybody turn to the book of Titus, near the end of the book, before Philemon and after First and Second Timothy, you find the book of Titus. And look with me at page, uh, at page number, if you're using the blue Bible, this is page 580, but, but look at me at, at, at uh, chapter 3, and I want you to read with me, um, ver- beginning at verse 3. I hear some rustling, so I'll let you guys get there, and then I'll read to you. Now listen, listen to these words. This is a description of the act, the active working of his, of, of his sovereign mercy. Verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And then everything changes in verse 4. There's nothing in the description of verse 3 that gives us any hope. But then in verse 4, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, pause right there and think back to Exodus chapter 34 or 33. I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And, And he did it in the declaration of his name. Showing mercy to whom he'd show mercy. The Lord, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. Now keep that in mind. He says, when the goodness, verse 4, when the goodness of, of God and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he appeared in Jesus, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, it wasn't our goodness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's nothing in the creature, there's nothing in you, 
no matter how many have grandmas and mamas and daddies and grandpas that, that may have been preachers and, and you were in Sunday school from the day you ever, you know, were, came out of the womb. Let me tell you, this, the testimony of Scripture is that there's nothing in you, there's nothing in any creature that causes God to extend mercy to us. Not a single thing. Think about that. If, if all that qualified us for God's mercy was the fact that we were miserable and sinful, then God would have shown mercy to everyone. But He didn't. Well, but... Well, some of us do better than others, and so maybe it's our merits, maybe it's our righteous acts that causes God to show mercy to us. But remember, you cancel out mercy when you say that, because the righteous need no mercy. So we say, well, why do we get mercy? Maybe it was Christ's merits, as the Catholic Church says. Maybe it was Christ's merits that incited God. God had his arms folded in judgment and wrath against us. And then Christ dies and now God is incited to be merciful. But if you believe that, then you are getting the theological horse or cart before the horse. God didn't, or Christ did not cause God to be merciful. God sent Christ to die for us because he had determined to be merciful to us before the foundation of the world. God's mercy comes before Christ's atoning work. Christ's sacrifice enabled God to perfectly judge sin and not sacrifice a bit of his justice and yet at the same time bestow mercy on sinners like you and me. And aren't you glad? See, Titus tells us all this. Everything I just said, Titus tells us. It says that, he says that, that when mercy was granted to us, it was not when we were great, but when we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. What he's telling us is mercy was freely given to the undeserving, not the deserving. He emphasizes that it was not granted because of works done by us in righteousness. Perish the thought. Sovereign mercy is only for the wretched, the pitiful, the miserable, the hopeless. Mercy can only be understood as God's goodness to sinners. Those who are desperately languishing before His holiness. God saved us, Titus says, when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ, appeared. Yet his irrevocable intention to save a people for himself because of his loving kindness has existed throughout all eternity. And therefore, mercy is granted, not when you and I, by our own initiative, reach out by faith and take it, but rather when God, in his indescribable grace, grants to us the faith to receive it. It's God's good pleasure to be merciful. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. So then, what are we to do to find and experience the mercy of God? Well, we talked about a lot of this last week, but it bears repeating 
we have to cry out to God for it. See, even though all of this work starts with God and that God is the author of our salvation, we know that we're called to be recipients of mercy when we demonstrate that we must have it. When we cry out to God to receive us, not as some benefit. You know, we are, none of us in here are God's first round draft pick. Nobody. We cry out to God to receive us as the lowly sinners that we are, that we might sit at his table and feast on his grace. It's impossible for you to cry out to God. Impossible unless he enables you to do so. So if your heart is burning this morning to cry out to God, that is evidence that God is calling you. It's in the crying out, repenting of our sins, obeying the gospel, that we prove that we're one of His, that we're a recipient of His mercy. But don't even take my word for it. Consider the words of Jesus Himself, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John six forty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I ask you the same questions that I posed last week. Do you this morning sense that the Father is calling you? That he's drawing you? Are you willing to respond in faith to Christ and come to him? Will you believe what he has said and receive eternal life? The mercy of God is flowing freely to all who would respond this way. Ask, the Bible says, and you shall receive. It says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what about the rest of us? Those who are here, you're here every week, you've been a Christian for years, your faith is genuine. How should we beneficially meditate on the mercy of God that we have received? First, and this is important, We don't think about it often, but we have to be diligent to look upon God in prayer rightly. Many of us are weak in faith, and do you know how I know that? Because when I'm talking to you about the struggles that you're having, I'm so grateful that you're willing to talk. But when, when we talk about them, I mean that you have more faith in your sins and your weakness, your failing, your doubting, and the power of those things than you do in God's mercy, His grace, and His pardon in Christ Jesus. When we sin, we tend to grovel before God. We're waiting for the hammer of justice to fall on our heads. But what you've got to remember is that the hammer of God's justice has already fallen on Christ. And He doesn't have a second hammer. We forget that it's the indwelling Holy Spirit that's working within us to help us in our lowly condition to hate sin, to resist sin, to conform our lives progressively to God's holiness. 
So we should stir ourselves up by meditating on the word and realizing by faith that all of this is true. Our sins should not make us hide naked from God among the trees of the garden. But our sin, because of Christ, should cause us to run exposed into the light of His mercy and His forgiveness. We should let Him adorn us with Christ's righteousness because we have none of our own. That's the first thing. The second thing is we should believe that His mercy is not only abundantly available to us, but we should often speak boldly to sinners, pleading with them to receive His mercy. We should rejoice when they do. We should trust that God can fully sanctify them like He's working on us. We should never disqualify somebody because of the mountain of their sins from coming to Christ because His mercy is for those who have sinned abundantly. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Thirdly, we as Christians, and I mean this as a solemn warning, we should be wary of our tendency to abuse God's mercy by presuming upon it. We avoid this by humbly considering our great need for daily mercy. Perhaps you're here and you haven't thought about your need for mercy for days or weeks or months or perhaps even years. And in the, in your, your, the place of your desperate acknowledgement of your need for mercy, self-righteousness, self-satisfaction, has taken its place. But we should be far more willing to entreat God frequently for His mercies, for our own lives, for our own sins, than we are to decry others for their own sins, their weaknesses, their failings, their doubting, and their stumbling. We should carefully look at our lives and and acknowledge our, our unbelief, acknowledge our active sins, and we should cry out to the mercy of God. And we should do it frequently. And fourth and lastly, we should be a people who are known by a vibrant and unceasing praise for the mercy that we have received. That's why I wanted to do Psalm 136 today. Because I, I didn't want you to become experts on the history of Israel. It's not a bad thing to be. But I wanted you to realize that it's in your life, not just ancient Israel's, that the steadfast love of God endures forever. And this should power our praise. Our hearts should be energized to love God through obedience and thankfulness because we've received His great mercy. And we should be willing to be imitators of God by being distributors of his great mercy. And this was the theme of our text this morning, the beginning theme. The psalm, be, the psalm began like this, or the, the section we read began like this. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They will speak, or they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Now what is all this, 
What works are we talking about? What majesty? What deeds? What greatness are we talking about? They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. May God make us people that praise just like that. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you so much for your mercy. It seems so empty to say that, God. God, I pray that you would make us a people who are forever broken in our pride and our self-reliance, in our lust, our greed, our sin, because we have been recipients of mercy. We pray that your mercy would serve to us as a pledge God, that you will be merciful again and again because the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And so, God, just awaken us this morning to the beauty of your mercy. For those of us who have harbored sin in our hearts, help us to acknowledge your mercy and run to you hiding nothing, God, because you know anything. You know everything already. And God, let let your mercy reign upon us once again. And not just once, but this day, the next day, and every day until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're about to come to the uh, uh, the table of the Lord, receive the, the, the Lord's Supper. And so if you um, are here, you're a believer Man, we encourage you to come with joy, to come with worship in your heart, and receive gladly. His blood, represented here, was the payment. His life was the cost, as we just sang. And 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 what was what was the the benefit to you? Well, mercy was poured out on you, and we thank God for that, don't we? So I want you to to come and freely receive these elements. But if you're here and and you are one of the ones that I described that presumes upon the grace of God. Even if you think you are a sinner, or, 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 or I'm sorry, a saint, and, and you, you have presumed upon the grace of God, you've hidden your sins, you haven't dealt with your sins, you've ignored your sins, then if you're truly a believer, you need to reckon with the mercy of God right now. Acknowledge your sin before Him and, and, and invite Him to bestow upon you the mercy that you so desperately need this morning. And then you may freely come. For the rest of you who don't know Christ at all, you you don't make a pretense of knowing Christ. And I want to encourage you, just stay right where you are. This is, this is a sacred moment for those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, who have trusted in His mercy, who are leaning into His mercy. And we pray for you weekly that you would come to the knowledge of, of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and be able to participate with us. But we're not trying to withhold anything from you. The Bible actually says that those who drink and eat unworthily at this table eat and drink condemnation on themselves. And it is our heartfelt desire to spare you from that. So um, the rest of you, you may come and receive these. I haven't even called the helpers down. If you guys would come and help us serve um, the... the uh, 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 then the rest of you, once they're here, you can come forward and, and receive these elements and um, uh, take them back to your seat. We'll take them together in just a moment. In Matthew's Gospel, we read these words, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, eat. 
This is my body. Let's receive the bread. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. Now listen to these words. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you that I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's take the cup together. Now, can we give a moment of thanks for the infinite mercy of God? Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us, for setting your mercy upon us. Thank you for sealing the covenant that you made with us in the blood of your own son, Jesus. God, we pray that we would, as we're told in the book of Colossians, walk worthy of the calling which we have received in you, God, to be recipients of your mercy. We pray that we would never despise, abuse, or ignore your mercy, but that we would live as the glad recipients of it. Lord, we pray that among our friends, among our family that do not know you, that the mercy of God would call to their hearts through the word of God, by the spirit of God, to come and put their trust in Christ and drink deeply of the mercy offered to them. God, we love you, and we pray that you would keep us aware of your mercy all week long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I will read this benediction from Psalm 13, beginning in verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart rejoices, it shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. You are dismissed.